0: We're turning to John chapter 13 today. We're looking at the back half of this. Again, let me reiterate something I said earlier. Everything we are about to read is what Jesus shared with his disciples on that day that we in the church community call Monday Thursday. It's a day when Jesus celebrated the last meal, the Passover meal, with his disciples. And it was a day when he got to give What I like to call his last will in testament. Because what do you say to the people who are closest to you, the people that you love, when these are the final moments that you are going to share together? That's what this is about. John 13, 14, 15, and 16. All of this is Jesus sharing that meal and the conversation and the laughter and the events and everything that's surrounded it, all taking place with Jesus looking to impart something to his people. Remember this. Of all the things I've said, remember this. Root your lives in this. Carry this with you. This is what you need to know. This is what you need to hear. To be prepared for what's gonna soon take place. So, if you haven't yet, I encourage you to follow along with me. Or if not, just let the words kind of do their work on you. And I'm picking up John 13, verse 18 is where I'm keying in. Here's how it starts Jesus says, I am not referring to all of you, I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill the scripture. He who shares his bread has li- he who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. Pause, because we're coming in midway through a storyline. He just starts here. I am not referring to all of you. What's he talking about? Last week we talked about it. He shared two things, two bits of his last will and testament. The first was this. Wash one another's feet. Jesus got down and he began to wash his disciples' feet and they started to kind of balk at it. Who are you, Jesus, to lower yourself before us, to humble yourself in this way? If anything, Jesus, we should be lowering ourselves and humbling ourselves before you, but that's not how Jesus rolls. He got down and he humbles himself. And the whole march to the cross that he's preparing them for is all about him humbling himself because we serve a humble God. God is a humble God, God is a God who lowers himself. And so he tells them, take my example in this. Do you want to be my follower? Then do what I do and wash each other's feet. And as he's doing it, and as one of his disciples, a guy named Peter, is kind of like battling against him in this. Jesus says, the second part of his will and testament, unless I cleanse you, you have no part in me. Unless I wash you, you have no part of me. To which Peter goes, well then, don't stop at my feet, Jesus, because I want to be a part of you. Wash all of me. He's like, no, 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 no. I've made you clean. But here's where it's picking up. I am not referring to to all of you, because there was one there who claimed to follow Jesus. There was one there who had been following him through it all, and it was about to go sour really quick. He says, the scriptures prophesied about this, that the one who shares my bread is about to lift his heel against me, you know, ready to crush me into the ground. It goes on. Verse 19, I am telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. I tell you the truth. Whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. And after he had said this, Jesus was troubled in the spirit and he testified. I tell you the truth. One of you is going to betray me. Now his disciples stared at one another, at a loss to know which of them he meant. Now one of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Everyone thinks this is John, because let's face it, if you're writing the biography, like, just write in, I'm his favorite, right? <laughs> so John, reclining next to him, and you almost have to hear it like this, like a sideline conversation, like a whisper, Hey, Jesus, who's it going to be? Jesus answered, it's the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in a dish. And then dipping the piece of bread, he gave to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered him. And Jesus said, what you're about to do, do quickly. Jesus told him, but no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him because it was a sideline conversation with John. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought he was, Jesus was just telling him to buy what was needed for the feast, go get more food, right? Or to give something maybe to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. Night. Now, when he had gone, Jesus said, Now, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. Pause. Jesus says, Now, now I'm glorified. Now, God is glorified in me. Are you piecing this together? Jesus has just been betrayed. And Jesus says, this is my glory. Because glory for God is not sitting on a throne, ruling over people who sit in obeisance at his feet. Glory for God is humbling himself. Taking the wounds, taking the punch, taking the licks for you and for me. When God sacrifices himself for you, God understands that, is the thing that brings him most glory. Now is the son of man glorified? Now God will be glorified in the son himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You're gonna look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now. Where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? You ever had that conversation with someone who hasn't moved along with you? You had the conversation and you've moved on to something that you view as something far more important, but they're still stuck back there. Where I am going, Jesus says, you cannot follow, so I got something important to tell you. And Peter is still stuck with, wait, what do you mean? I can't come with you? And he says the heart and soul of the message that Jesus wants to bring. But Jesus meets him where he's at. Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will. You will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus replied, will you really lay down your life for me? i tell you the truth. Before the rooster crows, you'll disown me three times. And it's we're going to end with a storyline today. But just so we're not like Peter, missing the key thing that Jesus wants us to hone in on, I want to bring you back there today. And I want you to bore this phrase in your mind that what Jesus is doing is giving a last will in testament, final words, important words, words that mark his legacy, words to be remembered by, words to prepare you for who he wants you to be and what life looks like in his name. And it's one simple phrase. Love. One another. We get a lot of mileage out of this tired English word, love, don't we? I love how Rob Bell once put this, where he's like, I'll talk about loving my wife or my kids, and in the same breath, talk about how I love a new pair of pants. I love Jesus, but I also love tacos And so many people import so much baggage into this word love, their own perspective, their their, their own emotional sense. We all just kind of operate with an assumption of what we mean by this word love. And so Jesus makes it more specific. And here's the whole phrase of what he says, a new command I give you. You might know the old commands, you might know the laws of Moses, but a new command I give you. Love one another. How? What does it look like? What is this kind of love? As I have loved you, so you must love one another. He even says by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How do you identify a Christian? How do you know if someone is a Christian? My bet is you have your own sense of internal criteria, and my sense is that bringing up the the statement right now is already invoking in you, well, I can never really know anyone's heart. Yeah, I know you say that, but the reality is you judge all the time. You make evaluations. You make determinations. You have a sense. Maybe it's by what they do on their Sunday mornings. Maybe it's by a certain speech pattern that they have. Do they drop the right cliches? Maybe it's by a certain religiosity that they carry, a certain kind of piety that they pride themselves on. Maybe it's by a confession of faith. Maybe it's by looking a certain way, talking in a certain way, acting in a certain way, being a certain kind of model of person. Maybe there's value to some of those ways, but Jesus has his own. He says, the real mark of someone in me is measured by the love. Love one another. Shoot, we even name a whole day after it. Have you ever paused to ask, why do we call it Monday Thursday? Is Maundy a word that you use? Is it a word that you even know what it means? Probably not. It's from the Latin mandatum, if you care. And maybe you can hear an English word peeking out of there, mandate. A new mandatum I give to you, a new mandate I give to you. What we celebrate on Monday, Thursday is literally rooted in those three words of his last will and testament. Love one another. I love it. He doesn't say like one another, respect one another, feel good about one another, get gushy and gooey around one another, love on one another, on that, okay? I mean, you better have some Etsy kind of like waller going around and drinking a cup of coffee if you're going to love on one another, all right? No, love one another. It might be good to like one another, to respect one another, to be kind to one another, and to tolerate one another, and to do all kinds of things to one another. There might be merit and value in that, but Jesus transcends it all. He takes us to the next level. Don't like him, love him. Don't respect him, love him. Don't tolerate them. Love them and love them this way. As I have loved you. You know, you're going to find that kind of language throughout the New Testament. Let me share one example with you. Paul, a later follower of Jesus, who wrote like half of the New Testament, he picks up on this. And he points this advice really specifically I think at the guys in the room, and more particularly, husbands. Husbands, if you are in the room, this is a direct statement to you. Listen to what it says. Piggybacking on Jesus' words. Husbands, love your wives. Okay, cool. I wish I could stop there and I could just import into that whatever I want it to mean, right? No, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Let me say it again. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Hear it again. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, you've heard it three times, so you know it. Husbands, say it with me. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. How are you supposed to love her? By being really nice to her? By going, yes, dear? <laughs> By nodding your head in assent while your mind is a million miles elsewhere? Through acts of kindness and things like that? Well, maybe. But he's calling you to a next level. Love her as Christ loved her. The only way that you can know how God wants you to love your wife is to know how Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her because that is your window. That is your key. Because until you figure out how Christ loved the church, you will never know how to love your wife. Not the way God wants you to anyway. Whenever I meet with couples here who want to get married here at Fellowship of Faith, I always do a series of sessions with them beforehand. And one of the things we always look at is this passage. And we talk about it together. We talk about what does it mean to love the way that Christ loves. And we talk about how the stories of Jesus become a window for us, filled with examples and illustrations, situations and events that we can hopefully identify with to give us a perspective on how to do the same thing. I ask guys all the time, so tell me, how did Christ love the church? And of course, I qualify as I will with you today that the church for God never means a building. It's a word that just refers to God's people who gather and profess in his name. So you can put it this way How did Jesus love people? Let me ask you that question today. If I am supposed to love one another, is Jesus loved? What does that look like? What are the stories that come to your mind? Off the bat, nine times out of 10, they always come back with this. Well, he died for her. Yeah, he did. And I tell him right back. And the day may come when you literally need to lay down your life for her as well. Are you prepared to do that? But you know what? If that's all it means, you kind of got off scot-free. Because realistically, is that probably ever going to happen? Make no mistake, Jesus died for the church. Jesus died for people. Jesus died for you and me. And he died in the most horrific way possible, the most humiliating way possible. He died when they were the ones nailing him up on the tree. And I tell guys, you might have to love her in the same way. As they are cursing you and as she is heaping all kinds of insults upon you, responding with, Father, forgive her, for she knows not what she does Jesus died for people that way. But I want to tell you this here today. Jesus did so much more than die for people. He lived for them too. And that also was an expression of love. He literally just showed it 10 verses before. I love that story of Jesus getting down on his knees with a towel wrapped around his waist and washing their feet, will you love that way? I love the stories that you'll find in the gospel of Jesus standing the line when all are against her and all are seeking to condemn her, standing in front of an angry mob on her behalf at cost and risk of his safety and his reputation, defending her and fighting her, will you love? That way. I love the stories of Jesus who's out ministering all day and he comes home and he's tired and he just wants some time to himself in his favorite chair. Only to find the people gathered all around him wanting something, needing something, yearning for him. And it says how he's moved with compassion. Now he ministers to them. Serves them. Heals them and does everything else. Will you love like that? Uh, make no mistake on this. Love in Jesus way isn't some easy sentiment. No. It's sacrifice. It's act of the will. It's commitment. To love one another as Jesus has loved us. I don't really think that the world knows very well what that kind of love really looks like or really is. But Jesus has called you to love in that kind of way. It was so central to him that of all the things he could share with his disciples in those final hours, it was this he drilled into, it was this he chose to say. A new command I give you, Love, love one another. Love the Peters who are impetuous and always messing it up. Love the Johns who think they are the favorites. Love the Judas who literally plays a role in betraying you. what he's talking about right on the heels right there so here's what I want to send you with I want you to ask yourself this question I want you to leave here today really really asking yourself this question how do I love that way look to Jesus let him model it root yourself in the love he has for you Ask him for help. He'll do the heavy lifting. But seek to be marked as a follower of him in the way that he desires. You know, in that way, ask yourself that question and put it into play. As you leave here today, and I believe if we do, that that will so honor the legacy he gives in this last will in Testament. So, Ben, I'm going to invite you to come on up, all right? You want to pray? That was actually a sincere question. Just kind of like, you want to pray? Should we pray? Why don't we, uh, like, like, would you actually say no out loud? Like, nah, you go on, you know? <laughs> hey, guys, why don't you, let's, uh, I don't know why I got to stand up to pray, but I'm standing, so it just feels weird if I'm standing and you're sitting when we're praying. Stand up with me we'll poise ourselves for some some worship to go on out of here today. So, uh, same question. Maybe ask God for help in this right now. Lord, you loved us with both an undying and a dying love. You loved in ways that I don't think anyone else could and no one else should. We don't deserve your love. What do the scriptures say? For a righteous person, someone may die. For a good man, someone might dare to die. But you, oh God, demonstrated your love for us in this while we were sinners, wretched, nailing you to a cross, ignoring you, denying you and betraying you. Whether like a Peter denying three times or a Judas selling you out. While sinners, you loved us and gave your life for us. Lord, your call and mandate to us is to love like that. God, some of us are here and we don't even know how. Some of us are here. And we've gotten so distracted from it or derailed. Some of us are here and have been so wounded by that kind of love that we're afraid to love that way again. Holy Spirit, come in our hearts. We need you. We can't love this way without you. We need you and we need you bad. Through your love, transform us. Through your love, help us to see with new eyes. Through your love, help us to love better, differently, in a way that brings honor and glory to your name. As your love defines us, may our love be a sign and marker to you. God, God, this we pray. Amen. Amen. And may the Lord who loves you more than you will ever know Or imagine the God who loves you. May he bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with all of his favor. May he give you that peace. May you go here from here today as sons and daughters of God rooted in his love.